Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So this morning we're doing uh, For the Journey uh, and Good Deeds. That's the, that's the practice that we're talking about this morning. And we're doing things a little bit differently. I, I don't know why. But it's kind of cool because if you were here when I was speaking about community, I spoke about how community is about a, a, dia- a dialogue. So we don't, we're not fully formed in ourselves, but we become fully formed when we're with each other. So this is an excellent, <laughs> well, proof <laughs> or not of that idea. Um, so we're going to kind of discuss what it is to do good deeds or basically I'm going to interview Steve um, about how he, see, how he sees things um, and, try, and I'll try and keep us on point as well but just by way of introduction the idea of good deeds we can talk about it in terms of good deeds or we can talk about it as engagement with the vulnerable the needy the last the least the lost the little the, um, the orphan the widow and the alien whatever sort of refrain uh, you want to talk about but throughout um Throughout the narrative of the Bible, the narrative arc of the Bible starts off with uh, creation, obviously, but then there's a mandate, there's, there's a power given uh, to people, and it's not a power to dominate or exploit, it's a power to look after, to steward, to nurture. Um, and then you see this again reiterated in, in especially Deuteronomy, where they lay down the law, but the law is completely countercultural to everywhere else in the, in the world. There's no exploitation, there's no use of power to dominate, but there's a use of power to to readdress society's balance so you have this idea of you know jubilee every seven years so there's no way of building up a wealth base and a robbing of land from everybody remember the land is everybody's inheritance um, and so every seven years this gets uh, restarted again so there isn't a permanent underclass in society so if somebody is completely stupid and loses everything through their own foolishness or if somebody is uh, very manipulative and gains everybody else's wealth this gets reset and so there's a, a distributive justice that happens to address the inequalities in society and then you see in the prophets because Israel becomes like everybody else they become uh, a nation where people use their power to dominate other people and then the voice of the prophets is you know like I don't care about your religion I don't care that you're observing the law like what about society? Your practice of how you treat other people is intimately tied with how you worship God. And then Jesus obviously takes up this uh, cry of the prophets to say, you know, like, what, what is it? What's the most important thing? He says, loving God and loving other people, they're deeply, deeply connected together. How you use your power uh, with regards to other people, or we might call it ethics, is deeply and fundamentally rooted in, in your belief of God. You can't pay lip service to God with your songs, with your turning up to church and doing your little bit. It, 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 how you interact with other people is deeply rooted in how you worship your God. And so what we're going to do is talk about um, how this reflects on us as a church, obviously, because we are uh, we love our God, right? So we sing the songs, we, we, we do the stuff. And then, so as a community, how are we engaging in these good deeds? Yeah. Um, so my first question for Steve is... Um, what do you think Jose Mourinho needs to do? <laughs> Just buy the Man City squad. <laughs> um, actually, my first question is, how is doing good deeds 
something that sustains us on the journey? Uh, how does it help us to behold Jesus? Okay, I'll break it down to two. Um, so I think, um, I think in the I think in the act of doing, it's going to take longer than we thought. I think in the act of doing good deeds, in itself, is is more of an attitude than a thing, because I think. Um, like Jesus, for example, Jesus was on a mission to to do what he did to reveal the Father, to give his life as a sacrifice, to reconcile the world to God, to whatever the whole host of things. It's actually quite interesting to look at what he was there to do. But he he had these purposes and these intentions about what he was going to do. But actually, his attitude was not just "I will do this list of things and that's what I will do." His attitude was one that was given to people. And I think that's the kind of key thing with, with doing good deeds because Jesus, although he was on a mission, for want a better expression, and had a focus to where he was going, he did a few things that kind of almost encapsulate the fact that he was engaged with meeting people where they're at, that he was kind of on the lookout for people, if that makes sense. So it wasn't that, because I'm like sometimes I can go to work and be like, okay, this is my to-do list at work today, these are things I've got to get done and actually in the process of doing that missed the whole point of me being at work which is to teach, which is to be there for for staff but also for kids and all those kind of things and almost missed the point of it because I get sucked into my <coughs> mission for the day and I think Jesus' attitude was that actually his almost his mission was the reason he was there and therefore he kind of was on the constant on the lookout for things, so for example when he um was going to Jairus' house to um, heal his daughter. So it's about that he was making his way and then there was a woman who had an issue of blood in terms of the, I don't know, the details of that, but had that issue. And she wasn't allowed outside, etc., etc., etc. but she believed that she could touch to him his garment that she'd be made well. She said, if I can just do that, then, I can, then I'll be made well and I'll be healed because she'd have been shunned from society. She shouldn't have been around people, shouldn't have been touching people um, because she was unclean. Um... And Jesus is on his way, on his mission, and had his to-do list. And she grabbed the hem of his garment, and he stopped. And it says in the in there, it's an amazing phrase. It said that, and he turned around. And I think, in a way, that for me almost sums up the attitude of what it is to do good deeds. Because Jesus wasn't just like, like these are the good deeds I'm going to do today. These are things I'm going to do today. But actually, he was moved by the people that interacted with him. He was moved by the people he met. And I think that's when it shifts from being something that I've ticked off my good deed for the day. I've given food to the poor. I've said hello to a homeless person on the street. I've prayed for whatever it might be. It shifts it from that to something that actually is just a disposition because Jesus turned around. I think the language there is phenomenal that the God Almighty in flesh had an intention of what he was doing, yet he turned around because someone touched his garment. And I think it's a chance for me in that attitude because am I with am I ready to turn around when it's inconvenient for me to turn around? And actually almost sometimes inconvenient for me doing the good deed I was meant to be doing today. So Jesus was meant to be going to someone's house to heal his daughter. That's amazing. But actually he didn't allow that to inconvenience that woman that met him. That sometimes, like, I'll go feed the homeless, but I'll ignore the, I don't know, stressed colleague at work because I'm feeding the homeless. And it's almost like it gets this superiority kind of, complex kicking in that didn't even answer your question for the first one um, so in the, because it's an attitude in my mind then um, it helps us behold Jesus because in a few ways as I'm on that journey to doing those good deeds because it's a disposition of, of heart I think it helps me to behold Jesus because 
it means that I, I think he reveals himself as we go. I don't think Jesus downloads himself and then that be it because it's a relationship, it's an interaction. And I think sometimes, again, in my own faith, it's like, well, I've got everything I need now and that, now I'll go. That makes sense. I've got everything I need now to go and save the, I don't know, an oppressed group of people, to go and redeem whatever it may be, to go and be kind to my neighbour. I've got everything I need and therefore I'll go. And actually, I don't think Jesus works like that. I think he reveals himself as we go um, because it's a relationship. So I didn't, when I met Susie, like, okay, tell me everything about you. That and I knew everything about her and then that's it. Never have a conversation again. Never ask another question. Never want to know anything else because I know everything now. But it's a relationship as you go. And you and you see more things as you go. And I think doing good deeds in the same way that prayer and the same way that worship, I think it helps you see something of Jesus revealed in that process just, just by doing the thing. So, for example, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking with two guys and he literally is revealing himself on that journey. He didn't stop them and say, well, I'm going to tell you everything now. On that process, he is showing more of himself as they got to the water destination. In a similar kind of way, almost the thing that I would do is Jesus is transfigured, it talks about, and that, that and he, he, he's kind of up on this mountain with Peter, James and John, and he transfigures. So he reveals more of who he really is as a son of God, as opposed to God in flesh, they see more of the God side than the flesh side. And Moses and Elijah appear, and Peter's response is, let's build three kind of tents or tabernacles here, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And it's lovely because he's trying to honour what he's just seen of Jesus. He's trying to honour what he's just seen as, the, as Moses and Elijah. There's nothing wrong with the intention, but he, he's correct and he's kind of rebuked and told no because it's almost capping that thing at that stage. Like saying, okay, I've now seen Jesus, let's just camp at that point. Let's just stay at that point. I've caught Jesus, therefore let, let me just stop now. And I think that's almost a shift. I think it's in an attitude of being someone that's look on the lookout for good deeds. We're on the lookout for, for Jesus in the sense that I'm not just going to camp at what I know right now. That I know Jesus has a heart for the poor. But actually, I'm not just going to camp at that. I wanted to see that more and more. And I think sometimes that's revealed as we go and do. I don't think it's Jesus going to say, go go do, then I'll reveal myself. I think it's saying, look, as you go and do, you'll see more. Just because you see a different aspect to me, you see more of me in that process. And I think also then with that, I think you see Jesus in the people that, that we are opening our hearts to. So whether it's the homeless, whether it's your neighbour, whether it's your colleague at work, whether it's your kids, whether it's your parents, whoever it might be, your family members, could be anybody. But I think Genesis tells us that we that mankind is made in the image of God and therefore um, I personally believe that therefore that's still the case. Whether someone knows Jesus yet or not, they're still made in the image of God and therefore when I do it for them, as Jesus says in Matthew 25, when I do it for them, you do it for the least of these, then you do it for me. And I think that's a literal thing of him saying, look, you see you see me in them because I made them. They're in my image. And therefore, whatever state they're at, whatever belief stage they're at, I believe they're still in that image. I mean, the Quakers, this is going to go so long. The Quakers, interestingly, the Quakers believed that every single person, um, this is not exactly it, but every single person had a bit of God, effectively, everybody. And therefore, they have this idea that therefore when everyone comes together, 
that's when you get the fullness of the body of Christ. And so they kind of practice that by they, during the war, refused to engage in violence at all. So, so they refused to fight in the war, which caused them to have lots of issues later on. But especially in the First World War, I think it was, they refused to enlist because they didn't have to at that, in that war, and therefore they set up an ambulance service instead. And that ambulance service went and helped the wounded of both sides because they believed that God is in everybody and therefore he's in the ones that we are fighting against right now, but he's also in the ones we're fighting with, for a better expression. Um, and so they believed that God was in all. So in their good deeds, they were like, actually, I need to go and help everybody because in helping everybody, I see more of who Jesus is because I see him in that person that's trying to kill that person, but actually he's in both of those people right now. That's a long answer to a quick no, question. That's good. So you're saying that um, actually good deeds isn't the thing we do, yeah. first and foremost, that actually it's an inner orientation. Yeah, I think so. And that as we undertake that journey, yeah. our inner orientation is more and more, or increasingly conformed yeah. to the heart of God, and therefore as we engage in it, we behold yeah, I believe so. more of Jesus. And therefore the answer to the question in Genesis of am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Is a resounding yeah. Yeah. yes, regardless of if my brother is the guy with the gun pointing yeah, at me or yeah. he's the guy I'm pointing a gun at. Yeah, that's cool. So how how would you um, how would you characterise good deeds? How how do we uh, what do we call a good deed? What is a good deed? I think. Good question. Or can we can we define it? Um, I think a good deed is an expression of the heart of God. I think, in a, in a nutshell, I think it's in whatever area because I, and I think that's part of the challenge. I think there's a hierarchy of good deeds um, that even I encounter. I've, I, 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 I've encountered some of the work we've done in this city in the sense that certain, what certain people are doing is almost seen as superior to what other people are doing because it's on a, this kind of like bizarrely weird tiered scale, if that makes sense. And I think. You are, I think that's not people's intention, but I think that's the way that it's communicated sometimes in an unconscious way, that we are told that actually helping out the politician who has put a policy in place that, I don't know, disadvantages the poor is less noble than helping the poor. And we would probably go, absolutely. But actually, I don't think it is absolutely. I think it's a good deed is any situation where I can see the heart of Jesus, the heart of God expressed into that situation. And I think, therefore, it's just as noble to help the politician as it is to help the poor, even if the politician isn't interested at that point in time. Because Jesus encountered the rich and ruler, he was not interested. Yet that's just as much an expression of the heart of God to him, whether he said no and walked away, as it was to the lovely children that came to him in the first place. That both of those are. That Jesus, I love it, I don't think it's brilliant, I think it's, I think it's God's sense of humour <coughs> in that sense, but I think that Jesus was surrounded by the poor, the disenfranchised, the, the persecuted, the oppressed, and they followed him everywhere because he was hope for them. Um, and they thought he was going to take over, and they thought he was going to destroy all the rich and all the powerful because he was the one that was coming to change it. He's followed by them all the time, and so what does he do? He decides to stop and pick out the one person in the crowd, a Zacchaeus, who was the one that oppressed everyone that was following him. 
And I just think that's, that's brilliant because that's like political suicide, that's social suicide, that I will, surrounded by the poor, so what I'll do is I'll pick out the one who's made them poor to go to his house, which now means the poor don't like me right now because I picked out him. And I just think, I just love the way he does that. I think it's, it's genius because it shows actually I'm not just interested in meeting in reaching the poor. I am. But I'm actually also interested in reaching those who have made the poor poor because I think everybody is in need of the heart of God being extended towards them and therefore whoever that is I think Jesus does that so I think that's a good deed I think and therefore in whatever way that expresses itself could be a correction could be a challenge could be going for dinner it could be healing the sick could be raising the dead could be giving food to the poor could be anything that's in that cool. way but it's just whatever way the heart of God's expressed <clears throat> I love that because that becomes a, a universal leveller because yeah. then we can't push somebody out because you're so bad yeah. actually even more so their very badness is what yeah. requires the expression of God towards them yeah. or their very vulnerability is what yeah. so in, in actual fact we, we remove the, the hierarchy and I actually think it's a, it's a it's maybe controversial I actually think it's something that there's a, I spoke last week about not everything is the devil and I, I believe that okay, I think sometimes it's just circumstances but I also think there are assignments of the enemy to try and challenge and, and, and deal with and misdirect us as the body of Christ and I think one of the biggest ones is, is stuff like ISIS because I think it, it, it in the very nature of it it, extreme, it pushes to an extreme of people group it pushes to extreme people who we, are, who we feel very very justified if I walked into any place of work, any school, any kind of situation has said, right, we need to make sure we wipe ISIS off the face of the earth. There would probably be 99% of people would be like, absolutely, that, that's fine. There'd be no sense of like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you've said that. Because I believe it's an assignment of the enemy to push a group to the extreme who are not included in the heart of God reaching them. Which is challenging, because I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you, how, how you extend the heart of God to somebody whose intention is just to to kill you, to blow you up, to hurt you. I don't have a clue. But I do believe that there's the wisdom of God available to know how to do that. And I think we get scared when we don't know how to deal with it. So we would be quite happy now dealing with a prostitute or a drug addict or a homeless person or probably not quite yet, probably not quite yet a paedophile. I don't know whether they would still be pushing towards that other extreme because we know how to address a drug addict, a prostitute, an alcoholic, we don't know quite how to address the beautiful. How, how do we do that? And we definitely don't know how to address ISIS. So therefore, they are now shunned because we don't know how to deal with it. But actually, if Jesus was here now, I think you'd see him do something that would reach that and cause controversy. And therefore, that wisdom's available to us. We just need to get it. Yeah, so Jesus would reach out to the, the very offensive. Yeah. To the point that it gets him crucified. To the point yeah. that it is, yeah. it is almost. It kills him. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so this becomes a, a multi-layered question now. Um, how do you see us as a community engaging with this? So that's both actual deeds, but also an inner orientation yeah. of heart. Um, I think, I think it's on the lookout for it constantly. I think it's not, it's not compartmentalizing it, and that's a challenge for all of us because. The, there's points in my day where I'm very up for doing something good. That makes sense. I'm very up for that. 
Um, like I enjoy Monday nights at God's Coffee Shop. It's cool. I feel good about going there, and therefore I'm very up for it. There's points in my day where I don't want to be disturbed, and if someone texts me at that point in the day or someone rings me, my tendency, being completely honest, is probably to, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Just ignore the phone call, I'll ring back later, because at that point, I don't want to. Now, there's boundaries, absolutely that, and I think you can get to the, the other pendulum where you go, well, there's no boundaries for me, and then you burn out, and you last about four weeks, and then you've got no energy left at all. But at the same time, Jesus wanted space because John the Baptist was beheaded, his cousin, his friend, someone that made the way for him. He wanted space, so he went on his own. The crowds followed him. He didn't want to at that point in time, in the sense of feeling. Didn't feel like doing good deeds, but it says he was moved with compassion, i.e. something that transcended what he felt, to reach out to them and saw a phenomenal miracle take place. And, and that's because he was in a Because he's in a Therefore he's kind of... And I think it's the realisation that actually what I feel isn't isn't my guide, if that makes sense. Yeah, because it's who he is. Expressed. Expressed all the time. Not what he felt because... And I think we think Jesus, I know I do, I have done at the past, we think Jesus didn't feel anything there was anti, there was negative, if that makes sense. And I don't think that's true. Because I don't, because I think we demonise feelings. I think when I feel like, actually I don't want to help that person right now, I think we think bad of ourselves because I felt like I didn't want to help them. Was well, actually, I don't think that means anything. I think that's a feeling. Okay, I felt like I didn't want to. But actually Jesus was moved with compassion. I would suggest, and maybe this is blasphemy, I don't know. I would suggest that Jesus didn't feel like helping the crowd of people that came to him. I don't think he felt like that. But I do think he did anyway because something bigger than what he felt in the moment moved him because of who he was in that way he was orientated. And I think sometimes how we feel condemns us Well, actually we need to like let it because it's like, actually, I don't feel like doing it, but actually I move with compassion because that's actually who I am as opposed to what I feel, if that makes sense. And I think there's a transition <coughs> across those two. And so as we engage on this onward going journey we become more attuned to the heart of God so yeah. that inner image <coughs> being revealed so it becomes easier to yeah. be moved by compassion Damn the further feelings. we go yeah. on than feelings so we start yeah. out at a point where we're probably motivated primarily by feelings yeah. so I feel like it I don't feel like it but then it's like actually I can't not do this yeah absolutely so not. we grow into that and I think that, that that's the biggest thing I think hit the nail on the head there I think it's that you grow into it I, I really believe it talks about in James um, I can't remember where it is. Somewhere in James. He talks about the fact that he looks in a, he talk, talks about faith in good deeds or faith in good works. And he says that it's like a man looking in the mirror that when he walks away, he forgets what he looks like and therefore, yeah, it's called forgetful hero or something like that. But he says that what you need to do is you need to look in the mirror um, and then be a doer, he says based on what you see which is a really weird analogy he uses but I think the, the point that he's trying to get across is that actually when I see something to do when a woman grabs the hem of my garment or when I don't know the people come to me when I don't feel like it when I have that opportunity when I want to look at something it's actually if I step out and do something in that in spite of how I feel in spite of what the context is I think it changes the Resistance is probably the wrong, the wrong word, but the kind of opposition in my own emotion and feeling to that, if that makes sense. So, for example, 
if um, it's going well off track we'll get back don't worry if I'm a farmer in a field well no if not if I'm a walker and there's common that big common group of walkers if I'm a walker and there's a field ahead of me that, that, that's kind of overgrown with all kinds of stuff um, I look at that and my gut instinct is probably I do not want to walk through that thing it's got stinging nettles in it it's got brambles in it it's got all kinds of stuff in it probably don't want to walk through that's how I feel but actually if I decide no I'm going to walk through it I start to maybe chop some stuff back or like Zachary and Levi would do with sticks and just like end up hurting themselves but like banging it down with sticks um, then I can get through now if I then come to that field the day after there's now some kind of path created in there and therefore I can kind of follow that path now I may need to bang a bit more down but I can walk that path again then comes with the day after and I can now oh there's a bit more established I'll walk it again and so on and so on and so on day by day by day comes it gets to a point where that path has been walked on so much maybe by you maybe by other people that actually stuff can't grow on it anymore because it's been trampled down it's been walked down and we often see that as a negative thing because it talks about Mark about the fact that the so is a word and it's on dry ground or ground that doesn't receive the seed and it is in that context not a positive thing but actually it also shows us something that some paths need to be trampled down so that they become an established path and I think that for me is what James is getting at he's saying look if you see something to do see something of who you are see something of what God's made you see see an opportunity to go, do a good deed then and it looks it feels challenging or it, or it looks uncomfortable or whatever it may be but you do it anyway the more you repeat that practice the more it becomes an easy path to walk if that makes sense if I repeat the practice once and then don't do it for another year and come back to that path, that path's going over again. And I have to start all over again. If I go back to it again and again and again, day after day or week after week or whatever it may be, that path becomes established and then it becomes easier. And I'm in the sense of easier in who I am and what I feel. For example, we often see the thing of praying for the sick. The first time, if I said to us in this room right now, it'd be the same for me. I want you to go and pray for the first sick person you come across after today. I guarantee, including myself, would make an excuse about why I can't pray for that person. I remember one time, and it, it, it's horrendous. I've been talking to Zachary and Levi about it, and we prayed for a homeless person, I think. And then me and Zachary went to my friend's baby's dedication in London. We were coming back from there, and we were at a service station, and there's a guy with a um, crutches or a walking stick or something like that. And we were just having something to eat in the service station. And Zachary said to me, um, look there, that, that person's got a poorly leg, let's go and pray for him. And I said no, in a very adult, kind of wiggle out of it kind of way of no. Okay? Um, and I got home and I was like, why the heck did I say no? Why did I get out of that situation? Um, I think I said, like, we'll finish our dinner first and then we'll go and pray for him. Knowing for well that it would take us longer to finish our dinner and then he'd be gone. So we wouldn't have to deal with it. Um, but the point is that I didn't feel like it at that point. And therefore, I made an excuse about why not. Because the path is full of nettles, it's full of brambles, it's, it, it's hard to walk. And the first time we do stuff, it's hard to walk. The first time we do that, it's difficult. And it might be difficult for a week or a month because we're establishing a path. But eventually, we get to a point where it becomes normal. So the eventually I get to a point in my life. I remember when I was younger, um, I'm not going to say more naive, I think in a better place. Um, I remember I got to a point with Zane 
we used to come out, and it sounds stupid, and I know it sounds stupid, we used to have youth on a Friday night, and after youth finished at half past ten, me and Zane thought it would be a cracking idea to go out into Leicester City Centre, and just go and pray for anyone we meet at half past ten, eleven o'clock, eleven thirty at night in Leicester City Centre, very sensible. Um, I was like 17, I think he was like 15 or something daft. Um, so we went and did that. Um, but it got to a point where we wouldn't have any any sense of inhibition about anybody praying for anybody. Not because we were amazing or because we were kind of these amazingly bold guys. A large part of it was because of ignorance to start with. But then it became normal because we walked the path. And I think the more we did that, then we'd be out in the day and be like, oh, can we just pray for you? Or can we just do do this and people would think we're weird but actually in our mind there was no inhibition at all because we'd, we'd walked it now what happens is from my point of view the less I did that because of changing circumstances or whatever now that would be much more difficult in the way I'd feel for me to do that now than it would have been like 10 years ago it's been longer than like 15 years ago but, um, you feel old I feel old now I'm really old now yeah um, but that's not because I'm less bold now or less, whatever. Well, maybe it's because less bold. But the point is because I've not continued to walk the path. And I think with good deeds, whether it is praying for the sick, or whether it's feeding the poor, or whether it's doing whatever. I think initially it's tough, but I think the more you walk the path, you become a. I can't remember what James says, but in the in James, sort you become more someone that remembers who you are yeah. because you see it and you do it and therefore you remember who you are. You see it and you do it. And I think that seeing and doing establishes something in the way that we operate as people, I suppose. So would you characterise <coughs> good deeds then as part of, as a discipline, and therefore as part of our discipleship? In- I, I think so, yeah. I think, I, think, I think it's often not considered as part of that for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. In my own mind, I don't know why. Like, for example, I would, most of us would accept the fact reading your Bible means you're a good Christian. Praying means you're a good Christian. Going to church means you're a good Christian. And I don't know whether we always think, actually, I think even feeding the poor would say was makes you that. Yeah. But I don't think when it shifts outside of our planned activities, yeah. I think for myself, I, I disengage from it. And that, that, for me, is a challenge because I don't want to separate my faith, that my faith expresses itself on a Monday night at God's coffee shop, on a... Tuesday lunchtime because I meet with kids at school who are vulnerable on a Sunday morning on a Saturday morning or whatever maybe I want my to be at any like Jesus at any point any time yeah because it's always an expression well, yeah, of God's heart absolutely it, which is consistent which leads me on to the next one do I have to go out of my comfort zone or become vulnerable to actually engage meaningfully with this um, I would love to say no but I, I think my answer would be yeah because I think no actually no no I do think no because I think like I said with the path I think eventually that becomes comfortable. And that sounds bizarre, but I think eventually you get, get to a point where it's not scary. And I really mean that. I think we could... And it may be a challenge. Maybe I need to not say this right now, but maybe it is a challenge for us. Maybe it is that we each pick an area and go, right, okay, that, no matter the circumstances, no matter the, the situation, I'm going to step out in that for the next month. And I would be fairly confident if you did that, if we all did that, in a month's time, that thing wouldn't be an issue anymore. So if I decided, actually, I'm going to pray for every sick person I meet, and I'm saying that now, and I'm cringing inside at the, what that would mean to be true you know to that. you're going to walk out the door. Absolutely, I see something, absolutely. Um, and, but I guarantee that in a month's time, that probably wouldn't be an issue for me anymore. So I think it can become comfortable, and I think where you are comfortable doesn't mean you can't do good deeds. That makes sense? Yeah. So 
I think it's it's <coughs> an extreme to say you always have to be your Christian faith always has to be uncomfortable. I don't think it does, but actually I think to get to that point can be uncomfortable. So I think I put I made some notes on that question, but um, part, partly because we feel it, and like I talked about with Jesus feeding the five thousand, he didn't want to go and feed the five thousand. He wanted to go and get time on his own, so he would have been sounds weird again, but out of his comfort zone because he didn't feel like he wanted to do it at that particular point in time. Um, but at the same time, I think something happens. Look at what Jesus did with the disciples that followed him. He put them in a boat in a storm and sent them across a, a sea. And I think that tells me a lot about the way Jesus sees people that say they want to follow him. So if I'm saying I want to follow you, Jesus, I don't think he goes, okay, come on, let's have a coffee. Let's have a little cozy chat. I think he's like, okay, let's go here then. Let me take you to the point that's not comfortable. Not because he's going, I'm going to test you, but because I think he genuinely believes of me and of us what's possible. And I think so often what's possible, we don't see it till we're outside our comfort zone. And I think that's the scary part because I think what's possible for every single one of us in this room is often more revealed when we're not comfortable than when we are. And I think if I stay comfortable for the next 20 years, I think I'll do some good things. I think there'll be some positive things, but I don't think it'd be fully realising who he's made me to be. And I don't think that's always the message we want to hear. I think we want to hear, because Jesus, Jesus didn't make it comfortable for the disciples. There's no point in, the, in there where it was comfortable for them. They weren't like, oh, this is fantastic. They, they were in, a, in the middle of storms. They were with a, a demon-possessed guy. They were with people who... Um, kind of pushing and shoving to see him they were put out of their comfort zone in terms of who was the best who was not the best and there's just stuff where emotionally socially culturally that they they were taken to a, a woman who had seven husbands from a cultural Jew point of view like you, you've talked about before was just horrendous for them to understand that you can't do that Judah. She she's not okay she's not a good person you can't connect her with the church you can't do that and so he shifted them out of their comfort zone which for some of us or for some of them was physically so for me sometimes it's physically but actually I think a lot of times it's not even just physically I think it's mentally and emotionally consciously what do I believe is okay and not okay and that shifts me out of my comfort zone as much as anything else That's great. and then going back to the idea that good deeds are more an orientation of heart as opposed to an act, the actual yeah, physical yeah. thing the physical thing obviously catches up with it but um, therefore do you think there's a value in the vulnerability of heart that actually we become the vulnerable person yeah, yeah. that God reaches out there for and meets yeah, yeah. as even we're trying to reach out to yeah, yeah. the vulnerable yeah I think so I think it's an interesting thing with vulnerability isn't it because I think if I ever feel like and it's hard isn't it but and it is hard this that this balance is incredible like Jesus said not Jesus um, um, I can't remember what it was Paul maybe said um, about being sober-minded and not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. And I think if I ever... It's a challenge. I'm just thinking, like, how... I mean, Ella was phenomenal on Monday, um, chatting to people. Um, but if I ever go and chat to somebody, and it's such hard, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting so much caveats on this because it is hard. <coughs> if I ever go and talk, talk, talk to somebody, and my whole intention is that I'm going to help you, I would suggest that we miss something. Because I think 
that suggests that I'm the one who's in the position of whatever power, yeah. success to help the needy. And I think in that way of thinking, it, it's gone. We've lost the point. But I think in a weird kind of way, that doesn't mean that I can't go on a Monday night and be like, "Right, you're in a tough state right now. I'm going to be." a bigger blessing to you as I can possibly be. Yeah. That That's completely different. That's going, actually, I want to help in whatever way I can. But I think it's a balance, which is why I said it's so tricky, because it's a balance between the fact that actually at the same time, I'm also open to being helped by you. And I think sometimes, I know I have, maybe I'm the exceptional, terrible one, but I can go into a situation that actually I'm going to help you, but I have no inclination whatsoever that you could help me. Mm. <clears throat> in like any way shape or form because you're the needy one whereas actually at the same time I've got needs as well and I think yeah it's a balance between the two because it's okay to be there to help but actually at the same time I don't, I'm not going to close myself off to receive at the same time yeah so that kind of jumps ahead to another question so just recognising actually the reality that we are all vulnerable at some point and all requiring yeah. something so even if very active say like you know the same thing on, on Monday nights yeah. of going to somebody else actually I need them yeah. you know even if we try and spiritualise and say I need, I need uh, the homeless guy that we're giving yeah. a, a sleeping bag to, to to show me more of Jesus or to expose yeah. more of my heart just as much as he needs the sleeping bag off me. And so how, how do we stop it being a condescension of, look, yeah. I've got all your answers right here. Uh, I'm coming in with the solution. I'm coming in like Superman to, to, to be the solution. How do we stop it from being a condescension rather than a connection? <laughs> That's a good question. That's an extra one I added. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do we stop that happening? I think... I think we first will recognise the fact that, as with everything, that, that, G, that Jesus needed people. Because um, that could sound controversial. Yeah, absolutely. That Jesus needed. Okay. Um, and that God made that in abundantly clear, which sounds ridiculous because we see need as deficiency. Mm-hmm. So if I need someone, I am deficient in that way. We know that Jesus and God isn't deficient in any way, in that sense, but that he made himself needy, even in the essence of, like, he came as a baby, yeah. that, that he was vulnerable for whatever length of time you want to say for, but but at least it's a very minimal five years in yeah. terms of completely exposed, completely vulnerable, completely dependent on, on, on his parents for everything. And probably even longer than that, really, if you look at it. I mean, I wouldn't say Zachary's independent now but he's more independent so Jesus God did that for a reason do you know what I mean he, yeah. he didn't we, we get so familiar with the story that Mary was a virgin she gave birth to Jesus and that kind of stuff that, that, that we forget actually what does that tell us it tells us that God in flesh needed parents that he needed them and he was willing to need them willing yeah. to put himself in the most extreme situation Imaginable that the creator of the earth who holds the span of the universe in the palm of his hand was willing to become a completely vulnerable baby and completely the kind of discretion of his parents, earthly parents, to look after him. And I think even then, beyond the baby stage for Jesus, that 
Jesus needed John the Baptist to make a way for him. He didn't have that own, of his own. He needed John to prepare the way for him to come. Or in Gethsemane, the very end of his life, that he he asked the disciples to pray with him. He's not doing that as like a token gesture that we might do when, I don't know, in our cynical Christianity sometimes we do it's like, well, that person over there needs a bit of a pickup, so I'll ask them to pray for me because then they'll feel good that they're praying for me. That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus was genuinely saying, will you watch and pray with me? Why? Because I'm at an incredibly vulnerable stage of my journey. I'm about to die. I'm about to be separated from my father. Therefore, I need you to pray with me for a bit. And I don't know whether the disciples recognised that, then that's why they fell asleep. Because I think if they really thought he needs me, I think they would have. I think they would have stayed. Yeah. I think, but because I don't think they did, and that that's the thing that they missed that part of him. They missed the fact that actually you need that. So I think my point of that is that I think if we see that he did, and yet was still God. Yeah. How much more then do I? Who I'm not that need other people that makes yeah. sense and I think and then differentiating the fact like the Quakers do and I'm not entirely sure of their depth of their theology but like, like they do that that God's made everybody in his image and therefore in the same way I need everyone in this room and wouldn't be me without that Yeah, I need the people that I meet on the streets and I don't know whether I practice that enough I don't think I do I yeah. think I kind of go and think oh, I'll just come and help and that that's not wrong but I think it's out of balance yeah, because then it goes back to the Matthew 25 thing of whatsoever you've done yeah. to the least you've done unto me. And then yeah. Mother Teresa says, you know, finding the face of Jesus in its yeah. most distressing form. Yeah, yeah. That's the quote, isn't it? And, and therefore we fight, there's a, there's a mutuality about it. I'm going to come on to the last question now, something a bit more practical. Um, how can I do this or can I do this in the places where I already am? So bearing in mind yeah. kind of the vulnerability and stepping yeah. out of my comfort zone. Can we, can we start where we are with our family in our home yeah. in our workplaces I think, I think the biggest thing for me in my own thing is intentionality I think when I intend to that has to be the first thing that comes and that, that intention comes from the fact that I see it in Jesus and therefore I realise actually I can, that's me as well and I think that intentionality is the biggest thing because I think everything else comes after that so if I intend to like like that. If I if I and I'm I know I'm talking myself into this. This is the the hard bit. If I intend to walk out of this room now and pray for anyone that I meet that's sick, just um, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking. I've talked myself into it. Haven't I? Um, then that intention to me is the is, is the kind of first thing. So it's what we leave from here thinking. Does that makes sense because. I don't. I suppose it's the the challenge is just leaving here today. <laughs> I love you lot so much. Just leaving here today, not affected, is the challenge. So I leave here today, and it's like if I can go into my Monday or even my rest of my Sunday the same, then that's sad. I suppose, in a way. So it's kind of like an ambivalence. So uh, yeah. So like in terms of. It says about the children of Israel in Egypt that God yeah. heard the cry. Yeah. And then later, like Jesus tells a couple of parables about um, the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. And like the rich man has a wall so he can't hear the cry of Lazarus. And then he, interestingly, is the only guy that winds up in hell. In the yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a kind of the ambivalence 
uh, towards stuff. Yeah, yeah, it means that we're kind of inoculated or insulated yeah. against hearing, and just not letting right. it. And I guess not letting it it affect my day. If that makes sense. That it kind of what we're talking about. And this is I, I've, I've talked myself into this. So I, I hope it's done the same. But what we're talking about affects my day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's a challenge because it can be nice. And that's the thing for me. I think sometimes if someone said to me, it's not God's will to heal, I would argue them down and quite happily debate it for hours. If someone said to me, can you show me in your life experience God's willingness to heal? I'd be able to go, yeah, during these situations, but not generally. Now, I don't mean that's a condemning thing. It's not at all. But I think it's actually, I've grown up in church. I've heard that God wants to heal since I was probably like 10 years old, since I started paying attention to anybody talking about anything. Therefore, the awareness of that is not the issue in my life. It, it's the acting on that is the issue. And I think the acting on it makes it something become something that I experience, not just something that I know. Um, and I think that that's almost a shift in what we're talking about today, I suppose. It's like there's probably not one of us in the room who would say, God doesn't want to help the poor, he doesn't want us to express good deeds, or something like that. It's probably not one of us that would say that, but it's gone from knowing it to doing something with it and therefore experiencing it in my day. And that's the challenging bit, I suppose. Because that's scary. Because that takes it from nice, comforting arguments and discussions to practical reality. And I suppose, therefore, in my workplace, it's that, am I willing to to do that? Am I willing to go, okay, I've seen that in the face of Jesus. I know that demands something of me now. Am I willing to do that thing that demands of me or not? And I wonder sometimes whether if I'm not, that's when the path we talked about earlier, the path grows over. Because I think then I'm not walking the path. I can tell you about the path. I can I can describe it to you. I can say what it looks like. I can talk about people in, in the Bible that did it. I can talk about even people in history that did it. But I probably can't tell you what it's like to walk the path because I haven't. Or I did it once. It was a bit uncomfortable, so I didn't do it again. And therefore, it's the challenge that when I... I don't know. It's like when I... My next door neighbour... Okay, Ricky, at the minute, he has been medically retired from work because he's, he's done something to his neck. Now, the challenge is I can pray for him in private and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But actually, the reality is, let's be honest, what really needs to happen is I say, look, Ricky, can I pray for you here? Or I'm, am I okay to pray and talk to him about that? Because that walks that path. That makes sense. And it's, it's, it's that intentionality. That do I dare do it in my normal, everyday do I dare step out into my normal everyday and do these kind of things? And that that's not that we have some kind of condemnation breakdown when we don't do something. That That's not what I mean. But it's kind of, it's the challenge of it. And then not using the flip side of that argument. Uh, I'm not condemned, therefore I don't have to do anything. Absolutely not condemned. But Jesus didn't condemn the woman caught in adultery and said, now go and depart from that it wasn't that you're not condemned therefore just stay where you are doesn't matter go and sleep with more men go for it enjoy yourself <laughs> yeah. um, it was that you're not condemned therefore that empowers you to to, to step out into something new yeah it's kind of, no condemnation is not just continue no condemnation is like go from here and go and, go and, go and set the world on fire go and change something um, and I think 
that's what he kind of says. It's like, look, this is who you are. You're not condemned. You're loved. You're accepted. Now just go and go and show the world it. Go and let everyone know it. Yeah. Um, take a risk. Look like an idiot. Um, which we don't like doing. But I don't no. like doing. I hate looking like an idiot. Do you know what I mean? But um, but risk it. Because I suppose then, because it says in uh, Corinthians, isn't it, about the, the foolishness of God yeah, yeah. Is, is, is stronger. Or like God yeah, yeah. chooses the weak things of the world. Um, and therefore it is quite contrary. Yeah. But actually it is probably more of closing the gap between being and doing. So yeah. like they talk about God in his essence that there is no gap between who he is and what, what he, he does, does like yeah. between his action and who he actually is. There's there's zero yeah, discrepancy between that. Whereas for us we can be, so Jesus yeah. changes the identity of someone. Yeah. But then it takes a while to filter out into like actually yeah. what we do. And it does take a time because it I think that's the walking of the path but I think that's why James talks about it's worth reading, I think it's James five, why he says why he uses the answer you look at yourself in a mirror